Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Monica T, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And today is Wednesday, the 19th day of August 2015. And today we are reading from the Big Book. We are in the chapter A Vision for You, and we will be starting on page 156 with the third paragraph. And today's readers are... The 12 Steps, Betty W. The 12 Traditions, Donna M. Our readers are Katie F., Devorah S., Rachel N. M., and Dion R. is a newcomer greeter. The share ID for yesterday, Tuesday, the 18th day of August is 7932. 7932. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, Each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. And I will now ask Betty W. to read the 12 steps. Good morning, Monica. Thank you for your service, and thank you, uh, visionaries who are on the line with me this morning. The 12 steps. Oh, I'm a compulsive overeater from central New York, and here are the 12 steps. We admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, Betty W. 
I will now ask Donna M. to read the 12 traditions, please. Hi, good morning. This is Donna M. from Wisconsin, Compulsive Overeater. The 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And twelve, anonymity is a spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thanks for the opportunity to be of service. I pass. Thank you, Donna M. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature that we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinent requirement for moderators is one year, and for readers is six months. There is no abstinent requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. And once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. And today we resume our study of the big book. We are in the chapter of Vision for You. We are on page 156. We are starting our reading with the second paragraph. Um, and we'll be reading three paragraphs. The first will be for context. And we will comment on the second and third paragraph. And I will ask Katie F. to begin reading for us, please. Okay, Monica. Yes, it's the third paragraph <laughs> down. I'm wrong. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay. They're, they're not long paragraphs. Okay. Good morning. I'm Katie F., a recovered compulsive overeater in Virginia. But life was not easy for the two friends. Plenty of difficulties presented themselves. 
both saw that they must keep spiritually active. One day, they called up the head nurse of a local hospital. They explained their need and inquired if she had a first-class alcoholic prospect. She replied, yes, we've got a corker. He's just beaten up a couple of nurses. Goes off his head completely when he's drinking. But he's a grand chap when he's sober. So he's been in here eight times in the last six months. Understand, he was once a well-known lawyer in town. But just now, we've got him strapped down tight. And the app says this refers to Bill's and Dr. Bob's first visit to AA number three. See the pioneer section. This resulted in AA's first group at Akron, Ohio in 1935. Here was this prospect, all right, but by the description, none too promising. The use of spiritual principles in such cases was not well understood as it is now. But one of the friends said, put him in a private room, we'll be down. And so... You know, what they're finding is that now that they're recovered, they need to keep working with um, with other alcoholics. That it doesn't matter what's going on in your life. If uh, your life gets too busy and you don't have time to work with a new person, then you are too busy. Um, so I, you know, gratefully in this situation, um, Bill D. did become the third um, the third member of their group, and you know, so then they had a they had a meeting. They had three people, and um, you know, my experience is that when I am not feeling spiritually fit, that the best thing I can do is pick up the phone and call a newcomer, because that will put my um, whatever is bothering me as a recovered person back into perspective and I'm able to focus on all that I do have, the life that I've been given. Yes, maybe something's annoying me at the moment, but the life that I have compared to the insanity of repeating this um, life of addiction over and over and over and over again is, (laughs) is just nothing short of a miracle. And I have to be reminded of that on a daily basis because I have the ability in a very quick minute to forget all of it and to think that, you know, poor pitiful me, you know, my um, daughter rolled her eyes at me and, you know, my husband didn't say goodbye to me and, you know, I don't have my favorite food for dinner and, you know, suddenly I'm on this negative spiral and uh, can be out of control. But what this is showing us over and over again is that we, um, have to constantly be in touch with newcomers. We have to constantly um, return those phone calls, you know, not to the point where you're negligent of your job or you're, you know, uh, ignoring your family. But God definitely, you know, shows me when I need to do that. And this is showing, you know, they were willing to drop whatever they were doing and go to the hospital and be with this guy. And so, you know, and it, it showed you know, it produced fruit. Now, every time I meet with a newcomer, it does not produce fruit. I don't, you know, sometimes I spend 20 minutes on the phone with someone and feel like they're, you know, real interested, and I never hear from them again. I have no idea whatever happened to them, you know. But um, I trust that my sharing, my experience, strength, and hope will plant a seed. And, you know, it's a different age than when this book was written, but we still have the opportunity, especially 
on this line, you know, reaching newcomers and there's newcomers every day who introduce themselves and, you know, there's just no excuse for any type of isolation <laughs> once you have embarked on this journey. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, KDF. And who would like to comment on these Charles two paragraphs? Charles from New York. Ronnie Parr. Ronnie Parr. This is Bella, can I say? Okay. Wait a minute. Okay. I got Charles H. I got Ronnie P. I got Bella. I think I heard Lonnie. Larry. And Nessie. Nessie. Okay. And Larry. All right. Let's go with that. Charles H. and then Ronnie P. Go ahead, Charles. I want to speak to this paragraph from, but he's a grand chat when it was over. So, just to identify him, I, I admit to myself that I, I am a first-class alcoholic prospect. See, you know what? I, I'm not here to, to show you that I'm intellectual. See, I left all my tools. I left all my um, weaponry at the door. And I came here willing, right? So, you know, I've been reading, you know, the first three chapters with my sponsees, and I've been, I've been looking at it from a different perspective. The big book has always been saying to me in those first three, you know, um, in all other respects, this guy is he's a great guy. Uh, you know, I think about uh, Jim and, and Fred and, and, and the guy that was uh, going drive for 25 years. See, yeah, I, I was a you know, I, but when I was when I was just newly abstinent, I wasn't such a great guy because uh, I wasn't thinking about anybody. I was still self-willed. Um, so, you know, I thank God for that line right here, and I thank God for the big book driving home the fact in other respects this person is normal and, and, and absolutely nice when it comes to drink, or in my case, when it comes to food. I'm not a nice person. I'm like a a bear. I'm like a, a male lion that, you know, when they go for the kill and the, the females kill, I'm like, get out of the kitchen, honey. I'm taking it all. But, you know, thank God for the program of action, you know, and, and, and working with other people. You know, that, that cliche, you can't keep it unless you give it away, is so true. You know, i got to give of myself, man. And, 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 you know, giving of myself, God gave to me, even when I was a wretch, I didn't deserve it. He pulled me out of the scrap heaps of hell, the depths of hell, you know, to be a respected member of society. So with that, I pass. Thanks for allowing me to speak. Thank you, Charles. At H, Ronnie P., you're up, and then it'll be Bella. Okay. Uh, thank you. Good morning. This is Ronnie P. in Pennsylvania, uh, recovered compulsive overeater. Um, what I love about this uh, paragraph is that, you know, they were they were still really – I mean, they weren't even beginners. They were they were barely begun. And um, okay, this one part that says uh, okay, plenty of difficulties presented. Both saw that they must keep spiritually active. That kind of raises things for me. Like, wow, what was it that they saw? But they knew, so they were just coming. They were being led. Um, you know, the the spiritual principles weren't yet discussed the way that they are with us. I mean, you know, when we come in, we hear right away, you know, this is, 
this is a spiritual program, <clears throat> there's spiritual principles, they, they were still feeling their way. And by, you know, what, what form of grace led them? And they were, they were just led. And they acted. And it was good. And that, you know, I realized that for a long time, the reason why I slipped and slid in program was that I was not working with others. I just wasn't. And I had this wrong um, idea that I had to somehow be perfect before I had anything worthwhile to give. And, even, and, and that was because I had um, my idea of what had to happen was all on me. I didn't give it over to God. It didn't occur to me to do that. I thought I had to wait and work to get worthy enough to have something worthy to share. Instead, now, if someone, you know, reaches out, even in very early stages of recovery, I would just say, okay, God, give me the words here. And somehow the right words would come out. And um, I guess when I say the right words, I mean, I could tell that that it was okay. And, um, you know, I have, um, years ago I had, I had a friend who was really waffling about whether to become a mother, and she said, you know, I just don't know how to be a mother. I don't know how, I don't know how. And I said, being a mother will teach you how to be a mother. So if you want to be a mother, just be a mother. <laughs> and um, I think that that's what it is like in this program. I used to think, well, I don't know how to reach out to others. I don't know how to help them. And now I just go, well, then help them, and you'll learn how to help them. So the act of doing this is its own teacher, and it's because we're not doing it alone. We are just opening ourselves up and yielding to something bigger to show us the right things to say, the right way to be, and and then we let it go. And each act of reaching out is a complete act in itself. We don't have to wonder, well, what's going to happen next? Well, if I do this, then will I have to do that? And, I'm, you know, for myself, I would just spool out into the future and try to figure out how I would handle all of it. And that was just a waste of energy. Now I just see that working with someone is a complete act. And if something else comes of it, then that will reveal itself. Um, or I may have an insight and say, let's talk again. Um, but the very act of doing it uh, is, is a complete act. And that will keep me abstinent. It may plant a seed in someone else. Um, it may not. Or maybe it will plant enough of a seed that they'll casually toss off something I said to someone else at work that day, and that may help them. Uh, I have no idea. I have no hold on that. I have no control over that. Nor I. So um, anyway, with that, I pass. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, Ronnie P. And Bella, you're up, and then it'll be Lonnie P. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Bella G, and I am a thankful recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, Monica, for doing this service, and thank you very much, everybody on the line. The use of spiritual principles in such cases was not so well understood as it is now. Yes, thank you, God. Now I understand those spiritual principles. Before the program, I had God in my life, but I didn't have those principles, and for sure I didn't know how to use those principles. For me, before program, you know, I was so much separated from God, because for me, God was a punishing God. I didn't know how to use how to put God in my life, not for myself and for sure not for others because I didn't know how to use them. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, that now I am connected to God, to a loving 
power to an accepted power to an accepting power so now i know that i have to use those principles and i want to use those principles i don't i don't want to be connected anymore to my ego and therefore i live without fear without being scared and if i am scared of something i have to pause and i have to say oh bella hold on why you have now the fear why you are scared now and yes this is a principle it means that i have a blockage in my in my connection to to god and no situation not with myself and not with others is scary anymore because if i am connected or when i am connected to god and this is a good connection then there is no fear so with everything we can deal you know some cases are harder than others but when we put god into the picture so we just have to go to a private room but we can solve we can help with god's help thank you for letting me share and i pass thank you bella g lana p lonnie p you're up and then it'll be nessie Star uh-huh. one to unmute. Maybe I didn't catch uh, Alani. Yeah, you didn't. Hey, you didn't want to get oh. Lonnie. <laughs> I, I am not even, I didn't even, I don't even know what paragraph you guys read, so I passed. Okay. I thought I heard okay. you. Sorry. That's okay. <laughs> okay. It's Nessie then. And then it'll be Larry. <laughs> Hi, good morning. This is Nessie R., a recovered compulsive over here in Toronto, Canada. Um. I uh, I went to extreme lengths to pursue my disease. You know, I um, I neglected my husband, I neglected my kids, I neglected my job, I endangered my life. I went out, you know, at three in the morning in the dead of winter to uh, satisfy a craving. I went, I, I lied, I I did such crazy, crazy things. And what this paragraph is telling me is that I gotta go to the same lengths, if not even greater lengths in the pursuit of of my recovery and you know these guys had it really tough you know they had to actually go out searching for people to help you know we don't have to uh you know go out to to hospitals treatment centers you know buffet restaurants and young people out and convince them that they have a disease and convince them that we have a solution and convince them that you know um the 12 steps will will arrest their their disease you know, we, we have a fellowship now, well-established fellowship, where people come in out of their own free will. And I would say a lot of them, maybe not all of them, but all of a lot of them very willing to do whatever it takes if they can just find a sponsor. You know, and I, I, I really have a, a difficulty um, saying no when people ask me for that very fact, you know, because where would I be? Where would I be if my sponsor had said, you know, sorry, you know, I got too much on my plate, no, no pun intended, I got too much on my plate and I have no time for you, like, where would I be? You know, I'd be out there, you know, weighing 400 pounds in some obscure Chinese buffet doing who knows what. Um, so 
I really take this very seriously, um, working with newcomers, work, working with people who are struggling, working with people who are relapsing. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. I, I need to do this for me because if I don't do it, then I could, God forbid, be back where I started. I have to do this because this is what God wants me to do. I was helped by somebody who was very generous with, with her time, and I got to be very generous with my time because this is what God requires of me now. And uh, with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Nessa R. Larry Kay, you're up. Hi, Monica. Thanks for your service. Uh, Larry Kay, um, Recovered Compulsive Reader. So, you know, what we learned here, you know, faith alone is insufficient. You know, by faith and by works, we build our experience. And, you know, they, you know, these paragraphs show bottom line, once we're given this gift of freedom, this spiritual transformation that removes the, the former symptoms of this disease, we're called to action. You know, faith without works is dead. And if I view this merely as an option rather than, you know, a mandate from my higher power, um, it, it's pretty likely I'm going to eventually fall back into the pit of this disease. Uh, that's been my experience. So that's why every day, I try my best to throw myself into this venture of action. And for me, you know, living a God-centered life, what does that mean? Well, that means total immersion and carrying this message to the still-suffering compulsive overeater. You know, Bill and Dr. Bob, they set an example for us of how to boost our spiritual health. They didn't just engage in, in solitude, silence, and prayer. Those are all good. And, and while there's no standardized, you know, list of, of, of spiritual practices, you know, what, what, the most revealing evidence of one's spiritual alignment and fitness, in my opinion, is their willingness to actively work with another addict. And, you know, I mean, you know, what, what good would it, would it be for me to pray and meditate all day long without ever stepping out into the firing line of the still suffering compulsive overeater? You know, I mean, all, all spiritual people throughout history, they've served others through action. You know, we get to, to and, and the benefit, we get to reorient our, our attitude away from self and begin to concentrate on helping others. And, you know, for me, th this is the most important element of this program of action. You know, uh, when I started, I thought service, you know, was yeah, I'll act because I want to get abstinence. I don't know if anyone can relate to that, but I can't get abstinence, so maybe I'll service my way into getting abstinent. It didn't work for me. Let me know if that's working for you. Um, faith has to work 24 hours a day in and through us, or we perish. That's what we learned in Bill's story. And uh, it's, uh, it's a tremendous life that I have today that God, you know, gave me, I didn't earn this. Uh, I'm not, you know, wor more worthy of another of this, but I know somehow inherently that I have to act and I have to be willing to uh, carry the message every day with that. I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry Kay. And who else would like to comment on these two paragraphs? Sally. Sally. Sally, Melissa, Paula D, Paula D, Amy G, Amy G. And did you get Vasa? Oh, 
No, I did not. Awesome. Thank oh, you. I did now. Okay. Sally R., Melissa, you'll have to tell me your last initial. I think it was C, Paula D, Amy G, Vasa O. Sally R., you're up. Sally A. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, that's okay, Monica. So hey, I'm a little rusty here. <laughs> so happy to hear your voice. No problem. Call me Sally R. Just call me. Okay. Um, it's Sally A. in South Jersey, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. And um, these are just wonderful paragraphs that we have. Again, we have another opportunity to see how these guys are going to approach Step 12 and bringing the message to this alcoholic, number three, Bill Dodson. And um, there's so much said about Bill Dodson. I won't go into the details, but I do love on page 21 where it talks about the Jekyll and Hyde. And here this is basically describing the Jekyll and Hyde of this particular alcoholic, that this guy was a really nice guy. You know, they tell us, understand he was once a well-known lawyer in town, but just now we've got him strapped down tight. And that's what my disease had me. My eating disorder had me strapped down tight. And really, it was all of my making. It was in my brain. My mental illness had me strapped down tight because I was isolative. I, I, I had such a bondage. I could not get myself to get up and move. It was like I was truly strapped down mentally. And to get up, the only thing that would release the valve to release me to get up, to be, to be not strapped down tight, was I needed more food. That I had run out of food. That was what got me up. Otherwise, I was always looking for ways to stay isolated and stay and stay alone. Um, and it wasn't because I was, you know, I often think, why did I do that? You know, there's no making any sense of it. It was my illness. And it says here, here was a prospect, all right, but by the description, none too promising. Were any of us too promising without God's grace, without these steps? That's really the bottom line, because it really boils down to God's power. Call it God's power, call it God's grace. The use of spiritual principles, these 12 steps, it's like magic. Releasing the strapped down, the bolting and the strapping down of my mental illness, that I was so alone in this thing. I couldn't even articulate and explain to my family and friends, help me. I couldn't even say help me because I couldn't explain that I needed help. I couldn't even see clearly that I needed help. This weird um, uh, selective dementia, as I like to call it, that I could not communicate effectively. Help me, I'm in trouble. There's something going on here. But I could not articulate that, and neither could this guy. And here he is, they call him a corker. And imagine a well-known lawyer in town that they've got strapped down tight. How about you? Are you strapped down tight? It ain't over yet. Don't leave before the miracle. Take it from one who stuck around the rooms for 30 years and finally understood. It's all about the steps. And just because you might have done a step four here and there doesn't mean you get it. Thanks for letting me share with that. I pass. Thank you, Sally. Eh? Melissa, you're up. And then it'll be Paula D. Hi. Good morning, Monica. This is Melissa C., a recovered compulsive overeater from New York. Um, and, uh, you know, he goes off his head completely when he's drinking. Um, and he was not a promising, you know, there was, he was, wasn't a promising prospect. And, um, 
you know, whenever I feel a little nostalgic about my eating days, um, which I'm just coming off of a vacation, and so it's kind of easy for my mind to get a little nostalgic for that. You know, I forget that, like this man, I go completely off my head when when I'm eating. Um, you know, I might not get violent and beat up nurses, but my life spirals out of control so fast. Um, I'm like another person. I go right back to a very small, dark place. Um, it goes from enjoyment to torture in, in a snap. And, um, you know, and so there's always two alternatives for me. I can go back there or um, I can work this program. And that means, um, like Dr. Um, Bob and Bill, um, working with other people. And, you know, I, I was away camping, and so uh, I didn't have a good signal. And it was difficult for me to get in touch with um, people I work with, you know, my sponsees and, and other recovered people. And, um, you know, no, no surprise, I was uncomfortable when I came back from vacation, um, my abstinence was intact. Um, you know, that was good, but I was starting to get, um, filled with my ego. I was feeling annoyed with people in my life, my husband, my friends, my kids. I was feeling sorry for myself. You know, that's where, um, that's where my disease starts taking root. Um, it becomes apparent why I've always turned to the food because I am this huge needy soul and um, the only thing that has really filled me up and has allowed me to connect with my higher power is working with other people. And, um, you know, and so since I've been home again, I've been on the phone, um, emailing, texting like crazy. And once again, I have gratitude, love. Um, you know, it's amazing that the feelings of annoyance that I had for my beautiful family um, goes away when I'm working with others. You know, it seems crazy that the more I give time to other people, um, the more I'm able to find time for other people. That that just makes no sense, and yet that has worked perfectly for me in my recovery. And um, I'm so glad to know that today and to know that the food um, will only lead me down where I will go completely off my head and um, thank you with that I'll pass thank you Melissa C Paula D you're up and then it'll be Amy G and thank you Monica and this would be Paula D from uh, New Hampshire and I am recovered Uh, here was the prospect all right but by the description none too promising you know I don't know about you remember you know Bill was a, a almost like a salesman in his own way, this was a hard sell here. Usually they'll go just the opposite way. Hey, tell me something that somebody that's promising. No. Why? Neither one was too promising, were they? And yet, this was the beginning. This was the beginning of their reaching out. Third alcoholic. Then he goes on, the use of spiritual principles in such cases was not so well understood as it is now. I still don't understand it, but I live it. But not one of but one of my friends said, put him in a private room. Here, the action will be down. Not tomorrow, not later. 
may I just come to a page, and I'm just going to go back for a moment, and you'll see how it runs so parallel to what we've just read on 130. Those of us who have spent much time in the world of spiritual make-believe, I'll raise my hand, have eventually seen the childness of it. This dream world has been replaced by a great sense of purpose. That's what was promising. The sense of purpose accompanied by, look at here, a growing consciousness of the power of God in our lives. We have come to believe. He would like us to keep our heads in the clouds with him, but that our feet are to be firmly planted on earth. That is where our fellow travelers are, and that is where our work must be done. These are the realities for us. Life goes up and down. Parents get older. Babies are born. Life changes. Divorces happen. Death right there around the corner. Let me talk to another. Let me talk to another. Let me be with another. It isn't the talking. It's the listening. It's hearing where you were and where you are today. Thank you, God. I am recovered today. It's there. As I heard the speakers, it's a promise there. None too promising, and yet a promise in the midst of it. Thank you for allowing me to share. With that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula D. Amy G., you're up, and then it'll be Vassal. Good morning. My name is Amy G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Maryland. Monica, I especially thank you for filling in today. Greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much for your service. Hopefully my reception will hold long driving down the road here. But I just had to focus today and chime in on the fact that, you know, here's a guy in the last six months, a respected lawyer that had been in the last six months eight times. So I guess I just wanted to focus in today is that, you know, just how we talk about the promises of the program, you know, this is the promises of the disease. That if you're like me, like a compulsive overeater like me, we're like people who have lost their legs, we never grow new ones. You know, half measures avail us nothing. There's no middle-of-the-road solution. You know, the Doc Ock talked about repeatedly, you know, these allergic types can never safely use alcohol in any form at all. And I could never use, I could never, I can't go back there is what I'm trying to say. And that, you know, equal opportunity to disease, the results and the promises of the disease are always going to be the same. This disease raped and pillaged my life for decades. And that's exactly what it will continue to do. And it it may kill me in six months, six years, or 60 years, but the disease will always do what the disease does. And if I'm truly a compulsive overeater, this is what the disease does. It doesn't mean, it it doesn't matter if I'm a lawyer, a doctor, or a Wall Street broker, or a mom, or a tax accountant, or a CPA. It's an equal opportunity to disease. And that once this disease takes hold, you know, I'm doomed. And if we, we go to the next page, when they go to meet this, quote, corker, AA number three, he talks about the hopelessness on this man's face. And he's saying, when they claim with the treatment, say, hey, we have something for you. He says, it's no use. I can't do anything. I'm afraid to even walk out this door. You know, it's the bottom upon, the foundation upon which we build our recoveries. But at some point, there has to be a surrender that says, my way is killing me. This disease is killing me, and this is what this disease will always do. And if we don't surrender and make that decision of surrender from step one, saying that I am powerless, where do we go? We keep trying the same thing, or I can say I kept trying the same thing over and over and over again, and the disease responded over and over and over again with exactly the same thing. 
the four terrible horsemen, fear, desperation, terror, bewilderment. I'm so grateful for this program because of what these two men did and their need to carry the message to the still-suffering compulsive overeaters, their need to stay sober themselves, their need to stay spiritually fit themselves, to carry a message of depth and weight. Enough out of me. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Amy G. Vasa O, you're up. Thank you, Monica, for your service, and good morning, everyone. And Vas- I'm Vasa O, Grateful Recover Compulsive Overeater, calling from Massachusetts. I'm so, number one, I'm so grateful to God for bringing me to Overeaters Anonymous, uh, and, uh, and I'm grateful to the person that worked with me to the best of her ability up to her level. And yes, Dr. Bill and Bob are working with others. And that, I remember her saying to me, I don't want nothing in return from you. I just want you to pass it on to another sufferer. And I remember going to meetings in the morning, just having like, because my family were complaining I was going out too much. So I tried to go in the mornings. My husband's working and my kids were in school. So I'll just go to a meeting in the morning. And I remember just having, just having one or another person there. And I would have the best meeting ever because I'm not, uh, I, I had no social skills. I'm not very good about speaking in big, huge uh, groups, you know. I know this group is huge. I don't know how I would feel if I'm in person, you know, the fear of people, you know. But gradually, little by little, I started speaking in bigger groups, not as big, 200 people, 300, forget it. But anyways, uh, and I do work with others, um, you know, to the best of my ability, whether they come in the program. And out of my program at the beginning, I remember I did I step one, two, and three, and 12, you know, right away. I wanted to find my friends or my relatives that were struggling with the food addiction. I wanted to share the good news with them. Well, Daddy, want to hear it, you know? And um, it, it was my heart was in, in the right place, but it didn't work out the way I wanted it to work out. Uh, so it doesn't matter, you know, what kind of people we are in in the, uh, you know, in our programs. I mean, I've seen, you know, doctors, lawyers, CPRs, you know, nurses, uh, rich and poor, you know, uh, all kinds of people. But we have one thing in common. We share the disease of compulsive overeating, a disease that's killing us gradually, you know, um, to my grave, was leading me great, uh, to the grave if I did not um, uh, find, you know, uh, my program and my higher power, which I call God, and the allergy and the solution. I'm just so, so grateful. So I wanted to get up in the ho- on my house at the beginning. I just wanted, I would want to get up on the roof of my house and just holler and just say, hey, I found the good news. This is the answer to our problem, you know. But as I was working to the, the steps, you know, when, you know, the rest of the steps, it's, you know, I, people have to really, really desperately want this program and to work the program. And that's what I did. I, was, I had the gift of desperation, and I threw myself. My family were not happy because I was homestay mom, 100% pretty much, you know. And they would say, are you going out again? Um, I mean, ex- I'll wrap it up. Especially my husband. He didn't like it at all because I was changing. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. 
Thank you, Vasaal. And this is Monica T., and I'm going to chime in for a second, and then we're going to move on. So, but he's a grand chap when he's sober, though he's been here eight times in the last six months. That's what jumped out at me. Eight times he's been in the hospital. Eight times they have dried him out in a six-month period, and here he is, time number nine you know in a sense that brought me a lot of hope you know and and for all of you that are on the line that are in this spot right now we're offering you hope that there is a way out of that hole and it's called a spiritual solution and it's called the steps and we're going to see how this guy is willing to do that you know we got two choices stay in the food or work this program and with that, I pass, and I'm going to ask Devorah S. to please continue reading for us. Thank you. Good morning. Hi, everybody. This is Devorah S. from New Jersey, recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. Two days ago, a future fellow of Alcoholics Anonymous feared glassily at the strangers beside his bed. Who are you fellows, and why this private room? I was always on a war, in a ward before, said one of the visitors. We're giving you a treatment for alcoholism. Aha, uh-huh. okay. So um, how, how, like, to the point that is, you know, we're giving you a treatment. Now we're going to talk to you about alcoholism. We're going to give you a treatment. I mean, that really, they're going straight right to the, to the point. And... Um, you know, I, I could talk about myself. Um, you know, I people used to talk to me all the time. People would tell me all the time what I should do. You know, why don't you just try this diet? Why don't you just, you know, um, don't eat anything all day and just eat one meal at night? Why don't you uh, go to this doctor? He deals with people who, um, who, who have to lose more than 100 pounds. Why don't you go get the surgery? You know, everybody had ideas for me. But nobody really spoke to me about my food problem. Nobody spoke to me what it was to be a compulsive overeater and to be addicted to food. Nobody told me about the allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind. Nobody. I didn't hear about it until I came into this program. And I'm assuming that's what, when they say we're going to give you a treatment for alcoholism, I'm, a, I'm assuming, you know, that they're going to talk to him about the doctor's opinion. The doctor's opinion was written in 1934. This is 30. This is 1935. So already, Dr. Silkworth um, had observed the alcoholics and knew what the situation was about. And you know, he talked about complete abstinence. You know, putting down the substance. Um, and they were giving them their experience. And um, you know, Bill Bill D's account is written. Uh, in the, uh, he's number three. It's written, the story is written um, um, in the back of the book where it's right after this chapter where we have all the stories. And um, it's quite amazing. I had the liberty of reading it for this meeting just to get, get myself acquainted with him. And he, um, you know, there's an editor's note there where it says on page 188 where um, it talks about how they got to this person. Here, Dr. Um, Bill, Bill was in, you know, in, in Akron at the time. We know the story. And he met up with Dr. Bob. And he said to Dr. Bob, you know, you know, if you're going to stay sober, then we better go find us. We better get ourselves busy here. You know, we better get busy. So right away, Bob called the hospital and said to the nurse, do you have anybody out there who we might be able to help? 
and because we have a cure for it. And the nurse said, well, obviously you should know because you're, you know, it helps for you, right? You know, you tried it yourself, right? And he, she said, he said, yeah, well, you know, get us a room. If there's anybody there we have. And she said, yes, we'll be down there as soon as he clears up. And we want to talk to him. Um, and they went there. And here he was, you know, wondering, what am I doing in this private room? I've never was, I was always chained to a bed, you know. Um, and they and they related their stories. They related their experiences. And actually, you know, it talks for, it, before that, it really talked about that he was talking about his experiences. And he saw that their reactions, that they really understood. They really, really got it. They really, they were listening and they got it. And they were relating their experiences. And he saw that they weren't just, you know, shaking their head, but they really could feel, he really could feel Time. their um, their understanding. So um, I'm just going to stop there, a good introduction, and um, I'm just so grateful, you know. He says, if they could do it, I could do it too. That point, that was something, that's what I said after I came home from my first meeting. If they could do it, I could do it too, because we're all the children of God, and God wants us all wants to help us and all we need to do is the footwork and he's there for us and with that I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Devorah S. And who would like to comment? We've only got five minutes, so a couple of shares. Who would like to comment? Kim G. Kim G. Another one? Somebody else? Leah. Leah? Okay. Kim G and then Leah. Go ahead, Kim. Good morning, Monica. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Two days later, two days later, you know, they told him to put in a private room. Why didn't they just go right then? Why did they wait two days? Because it's essential that we are abstinent prior to embarking on this, um, this journey. You know, once again, everything goes back to that doctor's opinion. So I'm just going to read a couple of points from the doctor's opinion. It says it is imperative that a man's brain be cleared before he is approached as he has a better chance of understanding and accepting what we have to offer. Another sentence, of course, an alcoholic ought to be freed from his physical craving for liquor, and this often requires a definite hospital procedure. And then when Dr. Silkworth is asked about the solution, he can't even explain it. He gives examples of two of his patients. But in those examples... The first gentleman, following his elimination of alcohol, he accepted the plan outlined in this book. And with the second gentleman, he says, following his physical rehabilitation, he became sold on the ideas in this book. So it's pounding us over and over again that we must be abstinent in order to be, have the clarity of mind in order to apply these steps. On page 19, it reminds us again, elimination of our drinking is but a beginning. So ask yourself, ask your own experience. If you've tried to work these steps while you're still eating, has that worked for you? The people around you who might be telling you that you can eat while you work the steps, are they staying abstinent? Are they getting abstinent? Are they still eating? Use your own experience because the experience of this book, which has never had to change, is telling us that we need to be absent in order to start. And I'm going to end with this so, so Leia has more time, is that if you're looking for a sponsor, and we always try to look for someone we can relate to. And that is totally irrelevant, thank God, because I could not sponsor a lot of people if I had to relate to them. There's two qualities you want to look for in a sponsor. One, did they absolutely go through all 12 steps? And two, did they have a spiritual awakening as a result of the steps? And those of us that are recovered, 
will not hesitate to answer yes to both. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim G. Leah, you're up. Take us out. Thank you very much, Monica. Um, I just wanted to focus in on we're giving you a treatment for alcoholism. Yes, obviously, you know, this is uh, concerning Bill D. And, um, you know, the fact that he was uh, hospitalized eight times, you know, in the last six months. Um, And he was dried out. You know, and that is absolutely necessary, obviously, as was just stated. We have to, uh, you know, eliminate all those substances that are creating the phenomenon of craving. However, you know, he couldn't stay stopped. Bill was was dried out. Bill D. was dried out uh, eight times, but he couldn't stay stopped. Here's an intelligent man, you know, a well-known, well-known lawyer in his city. What was wrong with his mind? Why was he not responding to the humiliation um, that was occurring in the deterioration of his uh, career and the deterioration of his family? Why was he not learning from the consequences of his behavior? Uh, you know, obviously he had stopped many, many times. Why could he not stay stopped? Why was he forgetting to remember? I mean, he's a bright man. He has a, a, a you know, well-known career. Why was it that he kept continuing to repeat behavior, expecting different results and not learning from his experience? Why was Bill D. not connecting the dots? And I relate in, and a real compulsive over relates in. Obviously, uh, we have an allergy of the body. There are certain food substances that trigger a phenomenon of craving. Once we pick up uh, that first bite, that first bite takes me. Um, However, the obsession of the mind, you know, I had stopped. I had been, quote-unquote, abstinent hundreds of times. Why couldn't I stay in that condition? Well, the big book, you know, teaches us, and here was Bill W. and Dr. Bob, finally, to relay this information, we have a defective mind. We're suffering from an obsession where one idea enters our consciousness and dominates it in such a way that all other ideas, (laughs) to the contrary, are shoved aside. Why don't we remember our suffering? Why don't we remember that? You know, we cannot connect the dots. And, you know, the big book makes it very clear, and I had to get an education about the exact condition. I knew I had a problem with food. Bill B. knows he has a problem with alcohol. He doesn't know how his disease functions, and he's going to get that education from Bill W. and Dr. Bob. Because even though you and I are talking about alcohol and alcoholism and we're compulsive over ears, we can use that same knowledge and experience um, to uh, – to, you know, deal with and move forward regarding our illness. You know, what the big book promises is that by working the steps, it will remove the blocks that keep us from that power, and once we have access to that power, we will be restored to sanity. And with that, I pass. Thank you so much. Thank you, Leah, and thank you to everyone who shared today. Thank you, everyone who has shared. We will now close with a reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And Rachel and M., could you read for us, please? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Yes, good morning, all. This is Rachel and M. I'm so thankful to be recovered today. Um, Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation 
what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order, but obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. I pass.